Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. We got a new GM episode. Welcome, one and all, to Puck and Roll. Patrick Gordon here alongside Scott Cowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa. Full house tonight, boys. And uh, it is, there's only one thing to talk about today, and we're going to be spending the majority of the episode talking about it, of course. We got a new GM in Kent Hughes. Now, a little bit controversial only because we live in Quebec, because if we're anywhere else in the NHL, everybody will be cool with it. But, you know, this is a gentleman from uh, La Belle Province with an Anglophone last name, so everyone is kind of bitter about that, but who cares? This is Jeff Gordon's uh, choice. Uh, Pretty sure it has been his choice since the very beginning, but we'll dissect that um, in a little bit. But first, uh, let's go around the table and uh, let's get everyone's opinion as to what they think about... um, this is a new general manager. And let's start with uh, Mr. Scott, who's making a comeback after taking the last episode off. Uh, how's it going, buddy? Well, Royal Patrick, always happy to be on. Um, I am just personally interested to see what Ken Hughes can bring to the Canadians going forward. And in my own personal opinion, I think it's time that we just look at this era as a fresh start and a chance for the Canadians to rebuild and look to a hopefully better future. I don't really have any expectations for Hughes myself as I'm not really too familiar with him. I know he's an NHL player agent and I know he has a lot of really good experience that he brings to the table. But Montreal's at a point right now where they're dead last in the NHL. They're clearly in a rebuilding phase and they, all they can do is look to the future and hope. And I think that the one thing that Ken Hughes can maybe give this team is a little bit of hope. He seems like a pretty smart guy and it seems like like you can make some solid trades to make the Canes a bit more competitive this season. And hey, maybe in the fire sale they have the trade deadline, you can actually get some solid pieces for Ben Sherrod and many others. It remains to be seen. And um, as a bald-headed man myself, I do admire his haircut. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian, what's up, buddy? How's it going? So what's your what's your take on the, Mr. Hughes? You know, I... I'm liking it more and more, like the more I read about him and learn about him because he was a very, I guess, unknown figure for most of the fan base, even just prior to today in the press conference, right? Because as he said himself in the press conference, he's he was a kind of agent that kind of just, he stayed in the background. He didn't like the spotlight. But what I'm liking a lot about, about him is that the press conference made it very clear that he has a very modern outlook on the game, which makes me very, very happy and relieved. But He's also an interesting hire because I think that him having that negotiating and agent background will be a very good compliment to uh, to Jeff Gordon. And then the sensation from Guelph, Mr. Joshua Rosa. What's your take on it, bud? 
Yeah, I think having Jeff Gordon as the president as kind of their equals kind of tempers the argument about his greenness in NHL managing in general. Uh, I think this move is a bit of a course correct from what Mark Bergevin was doing because listening to what Kent Hughes was saying during his press conference earlier was that he wants to focus on players relationships which was something that I feel that could have been done better in the Bergevin era when you look at things like how Markov's final deal was or non-deal was handled or Perry last year and you don't get fooled by the way they were celebrating with all the players down after that that uh second last win there uh he i think he didn't have great relationships with the players it seemed to me from the outside looking in and that seems like something that Kent Hughes brings experience in spades and that could really help with this team getting new getting new talent and keeping the talent that's here happy and here Let's talk a little bit about um, this uh, tandem that has been instilled between Je- uh, Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes. I strongly believe that this is going to be uh, kind of a copy paste of what's going on in Vegas with uh, George McPhee and uh, Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, because um, I'm sorry, but like it's it's Gordon is going to probably going to have the last word on all trades, free agents, and everything. While you know, Hughes is going to take is going to focus more on the negotiation aspect of the game and also just uh, um, managing the player personnel uh, for that matter. However, that being said, how much leverage do you guys think that Gordon and not Gordon, but uh, Ken Hughes is going to have in making trades, in deciding who's going to be part of the roster, who's going to be deciding, you know, who's going to be the head coach? Because obviously now, you know, is Dominique Deschamps going to be back next year? That's going to be another question. Um, so, or, or is this going to be, like I said, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon or back when Joe Sackick, you know, stepped back a little for a while with, um, I believe it was uh, Sherman hit the, uh, the GM at the time until he Sackick the job back and everything. So, I mean, who's the boss here? I don't necessarily think it's about one being the boss over the other. I think, how it's going to be going forward is it's just going to be a system where both of them have to compromise things, right? And find some consensus. And it's honestly the same process with which uh, like the Montreal Canadiens chose uh, Kent Hughes. It was an entire committee. It was not one person. It was not Molson going out and picking Kent Hughes. It was him with Gorton and advisors and, and whatnot. Right. And I think that, that that's also how it's going to be going forward. And, and there are going to be many discussions between Hughes and Gordon and finding a consensus and somebody that like for a coaching job, find someone that they both like a lot. Or when it comes to like free agent things, talking together and then sometimes Gordon will have his way, other times Hughes will. Uh, but I, I don't really see this as like a lot of people are still saying that like, oh, whoever the GM is going to be. So Hughes here is going to be like the puppet for, for Gordon being the puppet master. That's not really how I see it. I think it's more of a delegation of different responsibilities where Gorton will have most of the say on like the roster building, whereas Hughes will really spearhead the negotiations, the the management of players, but also management of staff because the Montreal Canadiens are a massive organization. There are a lot of people going around and working for the, for the team that aren't on these. Managing them is also a huge part of it. And having two people to do that one job as GM now 
I think it's a pretty good idea. Well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Because when you look at uh, Mark, uh, Marc Bergevin's tenure in Montreal, this, this is a man who had like 14 hats on. He was managing everything, including the, the rocket on top of that, you know? So it's like, it, 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 it comes to say that after a while, yeah, it wears you out. And at the same time, it's a situation where you have someone at the helm of a franchise with, you know, a hundred million dollar payroll just for personnel itself. You know, he has to have at least some sort of qualification. And one of these qualifications is the fact that he actually has a university degree in sports management. You know, we were talking about this off the air. Like, you know, uh, Ken Hughes is the first GM in, in Canadian's history to, to have a university degree, you know, so it's, it's, it's already off the bat. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But there is one thing I want to, I, I want to dissect it because you mentioned this, uh, Sebastian, and I want to just put this, put this out there with it for everybody to discuss because you said, oh, you know, they had a process with uh, Jeff Molson and then they, they're doing interviews and everything. I personally think that's a whole load of baloney. Um, it's complete BS because I'm sorry, but if really you spend the last couple of weeks uh, interviewing people, okay, and we're talking about like two weeks, three weeks at the most, uh, and Ken Hughes is your you know, final decision after negotiating a contract and whatnot. This is a guy who's running his own agency, player agency. He is the agent of big time names like Patrice Bergeron and Christopher Letard, et cetera, et cetera. So you're telling me that this guy, you know, on a dime decided, was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to let go of my agency. I, I'm going to, you know, forget about all my players and everything. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, I'm going to become a gym, gym of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm sorry, but it takes more than a couple of days in order to make that transition. My thought is he was picked at the very beginning of the process was probably given like a month or like, you know, in order to get his affairs in order and to make a proper decision. And in the meantime, they interview people in the off chance that Hugh says no, in the end, I don't want the job um, because otherwise it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. I mean, on the logistical well, standpoint, at least. In the actual press conference, Jeff Gordon was talking about this exact process and saying that, like, towards the very beginning of it, he approached Hughes and asked him to interview for the position, and that Ken, Hughes then took his time to think about is this something I would feel comfortable like interviewing for and going for? And he decided that yes, in the end, he would be comfortable doing it. And then he had his interview. So his interview, uh, I believe Pierre, uh, Pierre Lebrun was the one that said this, but he was the last of the 11 candidates to have their first interview. And that was uh, last Monday. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then basically the last week was Gordon and Molson and the committee deciding who their favorite was. Right. Well, my so, point, my I, point exactly. I mean, like, he, he was, he was advised way in advance being like, you know, get your affairs I'm in sure, order because I'm sure he's not wasn't the only one though. I, I'm sure he wasn't the only one that was approached at the very beginning, right? Because yeah. in the end, they wanted to interview as many competent Quebecois hockey minds as possible. Mm-hmm. That's it's a fairly big field, but it's limited in the NHL, right? It's not it's not like for other teams where they can hire whoever they want to, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm sure they, they they sent out like invitations to everyone that was like up there, right? Like Briard, Luongo, whoever, right? Like Dash, all these pretty big 
names and people that, that that they knew because the hockey world world is so connected that like they know all these people right like yeah. gordon and he would have known each other for 20 plus years makes sense that he'd approach him and be like would you possibly be interested in interviewing for it i don't think he'd be number one choice because honestly i don't think it, it makes any sense if you're trying to hire the best person for the job to have that kind of front runner going into it because the whole interview process is to, is to figure out what are their ideas for team building? What is their vision? And even if someone is like the front runner, like what if someone else's plan has more clarity and is more well thought out, right? Like, I feel like what, what they said in the press conference was that they went in with no, with no front runner in mind, right? Of course, it's, it's not necessarily the truth, but I just think in terms of just making sense and trying to make the best hockey team possible and having the best candidate, having a front runner isn't really the best way of doing that. Well, I think that one of the main things to mention, though, is that at least with Hughes and Gordon as the one-two tandem of agent and player, I can face. I can say that the Canadians aren't in the worst managerial position in the NHL anymore. I find I think there's teams no, out there absolutely. that are a lot, lot worse. And I think it's nice to finally be able to say that the Canadians are not the worst in something. I mean, you can look at the Seattle Kraken, which in my opinion are the worst run team in the NHL right now. Ron Francis absolutely shot that franchise in the foot with his over foot fixation on maintaining salary cap structure and stockpiling draft picks. And now the Kraken are where they belong at the bottom of the Pacific. (laughs) So I can definitely say that the Canadians finally are... Yeah, oof, that's the T. No, I can say this to the finally the Canadians are not the worst at something in the NHL. And I think the combination of Gordon as the negotiator of the trades and Hughes as negotiator of contracts could work really well. It remains to be seen. Okay, let's get Josh into the conversation a little bit because don't think I'm going to let you uh, off the hook so easily, good sir. Um, now, I just want to, uh, we all want to know your opinion, of course, on uh, a few things. First of all, I mean, it's yeah, it is kind of cool. It, it's a homecoming for um for Hughes I mean he is from Montreal uh yes he does speak French and everything he played his minor law his minor hockey here and everything he's got a lot of ties with the province um and uh, he has got on record during the press conference that he has and this has been confirmed he has spoken to Bill Guerin and GM of the wild um on his opinion I mean like should I take this job and he's like dude this is the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees of, of hockey and which is absolutely true um but that being said though I mean, you're, you're taking you're taking over uh, a storied franchise and everything. And one of the things that stood out the most to me was that he is a fan of advanced analytics, much to Sebastian's uh, joy and much to a lot I of cried tears of joy. I'm sure. And, and I'm, I can care less personally. And I know Josh has a, you know, kind of he's kind of iffy on the topic as well a little bit. So I would like to I'd like to know your opinion. I mean, like. What's going to happen after this kind of comment? Do you think the Canadians are going to be building, you know, a full committee based on these advanced analytics? Uh, or should we be expecting maybe a different approach as to how we're going to be building this team from here on forth? Because, I mean, the bottom line is we are, you know, 29 years removed from our last Stanley Cup. So, I mean, we don't really care how they do it as long as they get there. So what do you think this approach is going to be with the new, uh, the new regime? Well, first off, everyone loves a homecoming, whether it's such a storied franchise as Montreal with such a history with the French-Canadian oh, or just sure. yeah, someone from Seattle coming into the Seattle. A- anything at home, it's your head, it holds your head up higher. You do better, basically. You want to do the best for your place of birth. But, 
But um, unless, when I was unless your name is Vincent Lecavalier, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there were a couple things that I was kind of maybe a little apprehensive of during his press conference when talking about his plan and vision for the team. I know there's the whole advanced analytics stuff, and I'm not. I'm more into the uh, into the. I guess you could call them surface level statistics than than the deeper analytical stuff. But there were things that he was saying about uh, leadership characteristic character stuff, which I think is good and important to have. But I think that's something that that team has kind of been mired in in the past a little bit that has kind of brought them down. If you think of teams in the past, they're filled with all these smaller players that play with the biggest hearts in the world, but they don't get the production done necessarily when you have David Deharnay as your first line center. Sure, he's like a passionate guy and he plays hard and well all the time. Yeah, he's not the talent. Yeah. Yeah, he he does have the talent to put the puck in the net, and that's where Montreal has been really short of in the last little while you've got Gallagher who plays like that but was capable of putting in 30 goals this season I don't know if he can do it anymore now but what I really think we need high-end guys to complement those character leader guys and it'll be interesting to see how they plan to bring those guys in either through the draft through free agency or draft or trading but that I feel should be the focus. Uh, Scott, uh, I want you to jump in on this. I mean, one of the things that's been mentioned uh, was um, Hughes wants to build an offensive minded and speedy team, which I cheered. I was like, yes, (laughs) I'm tired of seeing the Hubs play the trap for the last 60 years. But I mean, how are we going to accomplish this with our current roster? I mean, like, are we, do we need to need to blow it up and start over? Or is this going to be like another quote unquote reset? I mean, what, what do you think is going to be the plan going forward? Well, you can say that the tech Canadians technically should have already had that speedy offensive minded team. The problem is that the speedy offensive minded players they have don't produce offensively. So that's the kind of struggle they've been dealing with. You can look at guys like Christian Dvorak. You can look at guys like Mike Hoffman who were brought in to bring that speed in that offensive game. But for me personally, whenever Christian Dvorak looks at goal, that scores a goal, it looks like the last place he wants to be is in Montreal. So I find that the Canadians, I don't know if they need a full on reset. I just feel like some pieces need to be obtained. Uh, they need to keep some pieces and get rid of other pieces that can kind of overall form a roster that while speedy and offensive can actually produce offensively. And I don't know whether guys like Hoffman will be in that future plans. I hope guys like Tyler Toffoli can remain like that for the future. But in my opinion, I think Montreal is really going to need to look to the one thing that they haven't been able to succeed with the draft to get what they ultimately want, which is that speedy high powered offensive team. I think a really good point to make is when you look at a guy like Cole Caulfield this season, who's brought a lot of speed and energy to the team, but he doesn't really have an impact. He's skating around the ice quickly, he's building energy, but that's really all he's doing. As my dad often said about Jacob De La Rose, he basically saw him as just a big, beautiful racehorse. He could skate really well, and that's about all he could do. So I feel like Montreal's going to have to look to the draft if they want to be able to get some offense going in the future. Sebastian, you want to you want to jump in on that and maybe give us your take on what uh, what do you think needs to be done? Because I know you're going to... I know, I, know I, know, I know what you're going to say, but I just want you to hear it. I you just want me, to hear it. Go ahead. hear it anyways. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, just say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I 
I am in favor of a rebuild uh, right now, considering, I mean, the, the team is dead last in the league when they were shooting for a playoff spot, right? Like we are somehow have a worse record than the Arizona Coyotes who have literally traded away every valuable piece except for Jacob Chikrin and um, Clayton Keller. There we go. They have, they have two fill players. the thrill. Come on. The point I'm going to make like, and the thing that I've written about before is that the Coyotes literally have nothing. They struggle to pay taxes on their current arena and they don't have an arena no, no, for the sure. next season. So. It's, it's, complete opposites. it's complete opposites considering they're basically mm-hmm. the poorest franchise and we are one of the richest, right? Like It is a difference exactly. there. But, but the impressive thing is that the Hats are somehow even worse this season than the Coyotes are, right? Like that's... Yeah. like we, we were literally shooting for a playoff spot. Like, yes... The team was decimated with COVID and injuries and whatnot, but like, how do you sink lower than Arizona? That is my question, and and I, I think a rebuild is very important because the, the team is very much split in terms of age categories right now, right? Like you have you have the Brendan Gallagher's, you have the the Jeff Petries, the Carey Prices, and even if you stretch it to like the Tofolis and uh, I don't know, like what Anderson and and obviously Savard and Sherratt, but. You have the, like all these guys that are right around 30. Anderson's younger, but right around 30 for the rest of them. And then the real core are like players that are really 24 and younger. And when I see that and you see the record, how do you, how do you like rationalize trying to be competitive in like, like next year? Because like, what are you working with with that? I, I'm very much in favor of a rebuild. And of course, hearing of analytics makes me very happy because again, I don't, again, look, I don't think it should be a Bible that that you follow because just like any other method of evaluation, analytics are flawed, but it's another tool that you can add to your toolkit and have another thing to evaluate players on. And analytics are very useful in trying to find like diamonds in the rough. Like obviously Bergevin always had the the moniker of bargain bin Bergie, but how many of his bargain bins actually worked out with analytics? You can actually maybe find some good ones there and fill out a lineup, but the way to build a good team, like, yes, analytics help, but it's through the draft get high-end players, like Scott was saying, and just get that high-octane offensive game that I think we all want for this team. I think at the well, same time... Well, you can time, look at the money that... Uh, oh, sorry, Patrick, to interrupt really quick. You can look at the money ball approach that Billy Bean used when he was uh, working with the Oakland Athletics and kind of applied it to hockey, but I feel like what you said, Sebastian, analytics have to go hand-in-hand with the natural aspects of hockey that we've grown up, that we've grown up watching and learning about for decades. Because if you don't, you end up with what the, what the Florida Panthers had, where Vegas fleeced them for everything they, they owned. So I definitely think both need to go hand-in-hand. Yeah, the, the only thing with your Moneyball approach, uh, Scott, is that Billy Bean had like a... Um... It was like a $60 million uh, payroll, whereas the Yankees had yeah. one but four times over. So that's not exactly. Yep. Coyote should go for the. But I understand. Game. But I understand what you mean. However, I just I want I want to add on to what Sebastian said. Um, yeah, analytics can play a small role into, you know, I'll half admit it into getting maybe getting better players. But this is where mm-hmm. having a former present agent, player agent might actually help a little bit because uh, a lot of people would say, well, well Bergy was a, was a former player. Like, yeah, but he, he, he was a player from a, from a bygone era. The, you know, the locker room has changed dramatically from those days. And today, you know, the players think differently, they act differently and whatever. So I think maybe Hughes might be a better judge of, of character than Bergevin was because he knows exactly what these players are thinking, maybe on a more personal level, which... It's not a very high bar, though. <laughs> No, I know, but still, it's just like it's because like we're 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 trashing the Habs like crazy for their for their season and rightfully so. 
But on paper, I mean, this is still a really good team on paper. You know? You got no, no. I'm sorry. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm no, 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 no. no. I disagree all you want, Sebastian. I I completely, Patrick. I am in complete 100% agreement with you that on paper. Oh, I'm willing to argue this one. On paper, okay. Let me me talk to you about. Once, just one second, Scott. Just one second, Scott, and I'll and I'll I'll let you in. I just really want to finish my thought because Sebastian, right now, I'm sorry, dude, but like, get yourself checked for Alzheimer's because I remember. A few, like you know, a few months ago, we were starting this season, and all of us were like, "Oh yeah, Habs lock in for the playoffs," you know. And we have a former teammate of ours who made fun of us because he was the only one being like, "Oh no, they're going to tank and they're going to suck at everything." Well, we're all eating our hats today because yeah, he was right. Like that, the team didn't make it. Is not saying borderline. I was saying borderline. I know, but you still said they were going to make the playoffs. So for sure, we still again. Again, big big differences also happened between then and the start of the season, right? Yeah, like, a lot. Carey Price, yeah. Edmondson, all that happened, right? But like, but again, my issue paper. is like, is it though? Is it or or is it that the Montreal market always overvalues their own players, right? Like, oh, I, I think that's every market. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Um, especially major, Montreal, especially, especially big markets, right? Like like big yeah. markets like Montreal. But yeah. like like look, the team that that was in the playoffs last season. Would you call that a great team, or would you call that a team that got very hot at the right moment? I I'm not, I'm not sure. call that any other. That right? I call that any other Cinderella barely, team that we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's what they, I call they, it. They shouldn't have made the playoffs if they were. No, no, a regular division, right? regular eighty-two right? game schedule. They wouldn't be in the playoffs. No, well, and the other thing you have and, to mention is that the Habs got the same lucky breaks any playoff team got. Where would they? No, have for been sure, for sure. I'm not at all discounting the run. I'm just trying to to show that. From the team that made that, that run compared to the team that started this season, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. Look at that progression. Thomas Tatar, Mike Hoffman, that's a huge downgrade. Dano and KK for Dvorak, that's a huge downgrade, right? All these things, downgrades. And, you know, like... But yes, you didn't call I, I it still... a downgrade when the trade was made. You were all happy that's that we cause... got that, that we got Dvorak. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I never like that. I guess right? hindsight. I guess hindsight's fifty fifty. Patrick, I know, right? Patrick, go back. Go back and listen to my commentary on that trade. I mean, I was not a fan. I was excited no, about Devorah. No, I, I was I excited about Devorah. I, I, I didn't hate but it. You know who wasn't excited? I know. I'm, I'm Josh and you, Sebastian. I totally get it. I want Thomas Hurdle. Hurdle's been great. You oh, know who was? You know who wasn't excited about it? Dvorak. That's the exact player. Who <laughs> was he doesn't get about. He doesn't get excited about anything. Have you ever seen his face in any picture ever? It's I think the emotion. issue that the Canes have is that Christian Dvorak is one of the few players who spent multiple years in the Arizona Coyotes organization. And if you want to know one thing about the Coyotes organization, the players live in complete unknown solitude. Like the, yeah. the media doesn't care about them. Nobody in the city cares about them. And now he comes to Montreal where everybody cares about every single player on this team. So it's a big leap for a guy like that and a leap he probably didn't want to make. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go back to what I was talking about, about the house being on paper and the fact that Montreal media really likes to paint a lot of excuses with this team as to try and explain why they've sucked this year. And for a while, we had that excuse when they were decimated by COVID and guys like Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Cameron Hillis, Brandon Baddock found themselves onto the lineup somehow. And you can make that excuse at that time, but now the Canadians are healthy again. So that excuse doesn't apply anymore. And as I said in some less than ideal Twitter arguments, what the Habs need right now is wins, not excuses. So you can make all the excuses you want about them being a good team on paper. And in my opinion, they are, but they just haven't been owning up to the task because Guys have off seasons sometimes. I mean, just look at Philip Grubauer with the crack in this season. Let's talk about the media a little bit, and I want to. And I'm going to get Josh out of the his dark corner there and uh, get his opinion on this as well. I mean, the media throughout this whole um, process 
has been extremely strange in you know digging up information and getting their uh, their own opinions for that matter because I mean, for uh, a franchise that has like 679 people sticking a microphone up one player's nostril at the end of every game, we're sure short on, you know, original opinion. And, and, and where I'm going with this is that when you were hearing stories about who the candidates were going to be, uh, what the process is going to be, the, the commentary and everything, who do we hear it from? Pierre Lebrun, Bob McKenzie, Eric Engels. Elliot Freeman and uh, Connor McKenna, Dan Robertson. And then we would get what, like uh, Priyanta Emrith retweeting everyone's tweet and, you know, making herself look legit. (laughs) But then local media. Yeah, I went there. Local media are like, but like, look, we are like, oh, well, he needs to speak French and his last name needs to be like Tambly or something. You know, so then when the, the the press conference happened and we introduced Kent Hughes, the comments that we're getting not not just from the fans but from but from the media itself is like, oh, he has an accent. What is this? My ears. His last name is Anglo. My oh, my ears. What is this? So like, where are we heading? You know, like what is going on? Not not just with well, the fan base has always been out of whack when it comes to culture and just it's it's a fact of Quebec and everything. But Josh, I mean, why is all the sources coming from Toronto? And it's not even coming from Montreal as a whole. I mean, like, like from the outside looking into this kind of fishbowl, since you're an Ontario native yourself, I mean, like, how do you perceive this? And I kind of like, like, it, it makes sense that, you know, Toronto talks about Toronto, Edmonton talks about Edmonton, but then when it comes to Montreal, it's just retweeting what others are talking about. Well, as someone in Ontario that isn't part of the big cultural background that Quebec has and the Montreal Canadiens have to be on the outside looking in. And I understand that it's not that case for many people in the organization in Quebec itself and and in hockey is that it seems like a sort of vestigial idea about identity and nationality that can kind of be left in the past, in my opinion, like it is, always nice as i said before to have the hometown guys in and you ought to bring them in absolutely but it comes yeah but it comes to the point where you want to have the point of the game is to win the stanley cup you want to give yourself best choice of doing that and is forcing yourself to have a francophone general manager francophone like any of this dual language coach is that the best way to go about this if your end goal is to win i mean i'm not from the outside i'm not hating on my on my own uh province or my own culture for that matter but i mean if you're stuck on a desert island and you have and you got two guys in front of you and, and you have to pick one of these guys to lead your team to the promised land and it's ken hughes or lula moriello are you going to pick Ken Hughes because he speaks French? Exactly. That's uh... like, I could see it from way back when it's the whole Quebec versus Ontario, Francophones versus Anglophones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that whole thing, totally. the whole uh, Richard riots and things like mm-hmm. that totally makes sense to me. But in a world today where we're all. <laughs> 
much more connected with each other. There isn't that big violent violent rivalry between the two people. We're just Canadians at this point. I it seems like a relic of the past that could like not cut off completely, but oh absolutely be because, more lenient, no, of course. Totally. Let's be let's be let's be honest here. Like rivalries are a thing made for fans and the media because I mean I'm sorry, but like there is no Montreal Toronto rivalry with the players or a Montreal Boston rivalry oh. with the players. You know, the, 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 the thing the, the, the thing is dead, you know, but yeah, I, I I'll admit, you know, if the Canadian you know like if the Canadians make a trade and they all of a sudden they get, you know, I don't know, Jonathan Huberdo, oh yeah, of course I'd be excited. Not only is he's an amazing player, but yeah, okay, you know, he's representing you know our province and everything like oh, yeah i'd be excited but would you take him you know again over someone else who's a better player and just pick over language but then that's, another, that's a whole other story altogether right the I thing mean, is that, again it points to that issue of representing patrick that's the issue that i think a lot of french media has that going back to what josh said about the richard riot a lot of french media still thinks the canadians mean that much to the city they don't sadly anymore the canadians aren't but they're just a hockey not the same thing nowadays, and they aren't that big cultural emblem guys, to be for the city. your generation i mean you guys are all younger than i am and your generation grew up on on saku koivu Basically, and Eric Cole, and Eric Cole, and Michael Ryder, and yeah, and okay, well, and Metropolitan, and every other favorite favorite mid to mid twenty tens house player. Exactly, you know, it's like it's like oh, you guys did like okay, none of us have seen you know the 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 Richard Leflars, Colnoyes, Bellavos of this world and everything, but like I still grew up in was and saw pa- and saw Patrick Roy, you know, and I've seen Vincent Dauphus and Pierre Turgeon and Eric Desjardins, and it's like wow, that was that was epic, you know, but. We never had a team that was exciting enough in order to make it matter. But again, uh, in today's world of globalization, your last name shouldn't matter, right? It's just it's a matter Patrick, of getting- if you want to if you want a better example of how far the Canadians have come from being that great team. I remember walking through a flea market in Montreal and seeing posters of Guy Lafleur in one shop, and then I turned the next corner and there's a poster of Andreas Dackel and Joe Juno with the same font and the same Canadians marketing. So you can talk about how much the Canadians have changed and what their standard for a great player and a great emblem for the it's city is. And I think it's been thing. weakened. Yeah, exactly. But then I just, uh, just one last, just one last thing. And Scott, I'm actually going to use you as an example. I mean, you're from here. Your family is from here. Your father is a very respected uh, reporter for the Montreal Gazette. Your last name is Cowan. There is nothing Francophone or Quebecer about the name Cowan, you know. And I mean, you survive on a daily basis, right? I mean, you know, you know, you know, you don't have any tomatoes thrown at you, right? <laughs> yeah, I get by. I get by as best I can, and uh, even especially in the media, I get by as best I can. Exactly. So I mean, it shouldn't it, it shouldn't matter for the for that matter. But anyways. Um, that being said, um, let's go from one Frenchie to another. <laughs> and uh, Sebastian, I want you to be all over this because this is something that I know, um, again, it's, it kind of ties in a little bit with the advanced analytics and the idea of having a speedy f- offensive mining puck possession minded team. And we need to address the elephant in the room, and that's going to be Dominic Duchamp. I'm of the opinion that he's going to finish the season. Um, is he going to come back though? Like is Kent Hughes actually going to hang on to him and being like, well, you know, we're already playing Claude Julien's contract. 
you know, for another year. And are we going to be paying Dusham's contract for the next, was it two or three years or something? Or are they going to turn around? Julien said expires after this season, I believe. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that Zusham is going to be the coach for the season, right? Like, I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I, there's I don't, no point in changing that. M- Moltz is not paying three coaches. That's no. just not going to, going to happen. But no. it's going to be interesting. So, so during the presser, uh, like, of, of course, Kent Hughes was asked about the coaching situation. And ba- basically, basically what he said was like, Zusham's our coach for now, right? Like, it, it was all very fluid and like, get a sense that there's a good possibility that that he might want to pick his own guy. Like he was like asked like very straightforwardly, like, do you want to just pick your own coach? And he was like, not necessarily. Right. But the the whole sense of it was like, he he might want to have some change, especially considering that, as you guys were saying, the Habs roster on paper, like, I don't think it's good, but it should be a whole lot better than what was been this season, even, even considering injuries and COVID and whatever, it needs a better record than what they have. Right. I think that's what like, no one can, can refute that really. And, and Zushal's systems have been, again, like, like when he came in, everyone was like, Oh, this progressive coach, because in juniors, he was played a progressive style and I was all excited. Um, But that's not really how it's translated to the NHL. Like we still see the trap all game, every game, uh, the power play has been atrocious because it relies on point shots Point shots have been extinct basically in the NHL as a power play weapon for like what five, six years. Mm. Why is that the primary thing now? It shouldn't be. And still, you always see Jeff Petrie and Ben Sherratt shooting. The only defenseman that, that doesn't do it is Chris Weidman because he doesn't have a very good shot. So, of course, he's not going to shoot from the blue line. But like, it's just those elements are frustrating. So, I can see why Kent Hughes want to have his own coaching staff and like maybe like not not clean house with coaches but maybe maybe like put Burroughs back in the AHL and fired Zushal get the get his own head coach get an assistant coach in there maybe keep Luke Richardson I don't know um but I think that's most likely and as a fan take a look at Jean-Francois Hull yeah it's an option okay we'll tell you tell you what guys we're gonna take a little break from that topic we're going to move on to Josh and his little history lessons. And we're going to come Ooh. back at the end of the show. And we're all going to, we're all going to make a little nomination as to who we think should be the next uh, Canadians coach. How does that sound? That's a good question. It's going to give you some time to think about it. So we're going to send it right over to Joshua Rosa. Professor, are you ready for our history lesson this week? Let's roll. Let's rock and roll. Oh, sorry. Let's puck and roll, my friends. <laughs> Fire away, good sir. On this day, January 19th, the year of our Lord, 1901, Dunk Monroe was born in Moray, Scotland. Having moved to Canada young, he was a defender and captain of Canada's 1924 Olympic team. Team Canada steamrolled the competition, outscoring them 100 goals to three on the way to winning the gold medal. In 1928, Monroe's Montreal Maroons won the Stanley Cup, and he was the first European-born player to ever win Lord Stanley's mug. Next year, Monroe suffered a heart attack, and while recovering, came down with pneumonia, and the Maroons plummeted to the bottom of the standings. He returned the next season, 
became their head coach as well as their captain, and they rocketed right back up to the top of the league. And he played seven more years in the league, and his last NHL season was with the Montreal Canadiens. Other Montreal alumni born on January 19th is seventh overall pick Mike Commissarek in 1982, and one-year wonder in Montreal, and highest-drafted Austrian player in NHL history at fifth overall in 2003, Tom Manick was born in 1984. And a special birthday to a player that's never played a game for Montreal, but everyone should remember his name from last week. It's Larry Goodenough. The Flyers legend, owner of a great name at Hairdo, was born on January 19th, 1953. All right. So last week, I heard all your outrageous outcries of outrage outlining our befuddling lack of Lafleur or Rocket Richard facts. Well, your prayers have been thankfully answered today. Hallelujah! <laughs> In Lafleur's illustrious career, he played eight games on January 19th, seven with the Habs and one with the New York Rangers. The teams went 5-2-1, and one, and he recorded two goals and five assists on that day. He fared better on January 20th games, playing just five games with three wins and two losses with six goals and four assists. Maurice Richard, however, played six games on both January 19th and 20th, and both because he scored five goals and three assists, but did have one fight in a game against Boston in 1946. Well, I hear you ask, what about Montreal as a whole? Well, I have those stats here. The Habs have played 41 January 19th games, Unfortunately, finishing with a mediocre 16 wins, 8 ties, and 17 losses. Uh, their worst loss was against the Boston Bruins in 1974, 8-0. But they beat the Maple Leafs in 1980, 7-2. Interestingly enough, in every single January 19th game, Montreal scored 105 combined goals and was scored on exactly 105 times for a perfect even goal differential. And finally, with the utmost pleasure possible, born right here in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, on January 20, 1932, was Leapin' Lou Fontanato. The pride of Royal City was the first player to earn 200 penalty minutes in a single season and split time between the Rangers and the Habs. His career ended on a missed hit that paralyzed him for over a month. And But after his NHL career, he became a sheep farmer with a farm on the exact road that I am recording this podcast from. Obviously, I'm not recording on the road. I'm recording in a house on the road, but well, that's shocking. It's this road, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moved over. <laughs> he moved over to cattle, a cattle farm in Eden Mills, and sadly passed away in 2016 here in Guelph. 
Well, there's your proof, ladies and gentlemen. There is internet connection at the Rosa Farm Farmhouse. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Josh. That was awesome as always. Hello, my name is Mr. Snrub, and I come from uh, someplace far away. Yes, that will do. We're going to take a little break from Habs Talk uh, for a few seconds. Send it over to Scott Cowan, who uh, excitedly wants to talk about the ECHL All-Star Game, and especially with one particular player who ended the game with, what was it, five assists, man? Five assists indeed. My man, Olivier Archambault, finally got his recognition after a pretty difficult year last year for Archambault. I mean, I've talked about him before on this podcast, and I find his connection to the Canadians interesting. People always discuss him when they talk about failed uh, Quebec draft picks for the Canadians. He was a forefront pick of the team in 2011, and he's bounced around the AHL and the ACHL since then, and he kind of just came full circle and found us about to talk over the air, and he's flourished. He has 26 points in 22 games. He's been a very solid player, and he's been exactly the type of person to put fans in their seats that the Leo needed. And when the Leo signed him, I thought that's the exact kind of player he would be, and he's the exact player he has been. In general, the ECHL this season has just had a nice return to what the league, what made the league so much fun to watch all the, a couple of, all those years back, which is star players. As much as most people aren't really aware, the ECHL in the cities that it has its teams have pretty devoted fan bases, and if uh, they have players who can put the fans in the seats, it's all the more interesting. Like I wanted to make a point about who isn't Olivier Arshamba really quickly is Chad Costello. A lot of people aren't really going to be familiar with this name at all, but Costello put up seasons of 125, 103, and 122 points in his past three seasons in the ECHL and looks to be a solid player this year as well at the Allen Americans. So I just think it's nice to see the ECHL returning back to the star players that it was used to instead of being and finding that perfect blend between being a development league and being a proper league for these veteran guys looking to uh, play for the level hockey. So if guys like Archambault getting opportunities, I think it's going to be interesting to see, especially where the Leon go going forward, because they've been just a ton of fun to watch this year. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this is the cool. I think this is also like one of the um, rippling effects of the uh, Trois Rivières Lyon at the same time is the fact that we have a lot more access now to this uh, level of hockey. And and it's not disappointing. I mean, if anybody has taken the time to actually watch an ECHL game, it it ain't that bad. Honestly, it's not. It's it's we're it's a far cry from what uh, was it the North American Hockey League. I don't know if that's still around. Where you have a fight every six seconds, right? <laughs> or, or or the w, or the WHA two or the LNAH or the UHL, whichever old minor hockey league you want to talk or about. Exactly anything anything that inspired the movie Goon, right? So, uh, well, I think a great point to make as well, just really quickly, Patrick, is that yeah. people look at the Laval Rocket this year, and the Laval Rocket are fighting for a playoff spot. Why do you think that is? Because they have a host of guys to select from the twelve of the early on. So the go. ECHL plays a role in development for guys. So can't really forget about it. Exactly. And it's gotten us some great, uh, some great stories like uh, our man RHP, you know, who made a great debut for the Habs uh, when, uh, when he was called up. And also, it's one of the positives of, of, of COVID. We got, we got to meet the greatest flow in the modern flow in the NHL and Michael Pizzetta. I'm a fan. I mean... <laughs> I've absolutely fallen in love with Pizzetta this season. I think he's everything and more that this team should be. And he brings the energy that so many other guys haven't brought. Also, scoring a goal off your face, you just can't beat that. <laughs> exactly. Let's go in your face, sucker. Sebastian, you have uh, some uh, updates on the on this current crop of prospects that you would like to present to us before we uh, go back to the uh, burning coaching questions of that, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, th- there's always a player that I can just talk about that I feel like I haven't talked about enough. For 45 um, minutes? No, no, just, just 43. <laughs> um, but I, I think one one player that I that, that's really slowly, really, like, 
really growing on me that is like one of like the top prospects in the draft is uh, Frank Nazar. This is a player who plays for the U.S. National Development Program, and he is electric. He is a bit undersized. Uh, he can play both center and wing. He almost every game I've watched, he has been playing at center, and he looks pretty good doing it. Um, he really is like a bulldog. Like he just, he just he has such a great motor and he always goes to the middle of the ice in the offensive zone. And I love that. You see so many like undersized players or just like any players in general that just stick to the perimeter way too much in the offensive zone. Like it's my, it's my main criticism of Riley kidney and why I'm, I'm a bit like lukewarm on, on, on him as a prospect is because he does almost always like, like playmaking from the perimeter, not, not Frank Nazar. He, he always goes to net every single time to the point where like he could almost, go to the perimeter a bit, a bit more just to like change things up a bit, but he's, he's been really fun. And his offensive ceiling, I think is even higher than Logan Cooley's, which is already a really high ceiling. Like, like Logan Cooley is so much fun. And two days ago on Monday was the, the bio steel game, which is basically this, this game for USHL prospects of just like the best of the best playing each other. And usually it's like the best, like US NTDP players versus the best of the rest. And then the, the US NTDP wins that game every year. This year, they actually mixed up the teams. So you had like US NTDP, US NTDP players on both sides. And um, it was really fun to watch. I, I watched instead of the, the Arizona game, which I think was a very good choice considering how bad that game ended up being. Um, and Frank Nazar was solid. Cooley stole the show in that game. He was exceptional. Uh, and and I was very impressed with some other players like, like Lane Hudson is growing on me. But back to Nazar undersized high offensive ceiling he has a nice shot his playmaking is good always brings the puck to the center of the ice and you know i I think i have him at like six right now i could see him jumping up to like five maybe even four by the end of the year because again i love high ceiling players and more than anything he's fun to watch and as we've been saying with the habs we want a fun offensive fast skilled team Nazar is that like you just you point at that and it's like that that that's the guy he is all of those things he's fun uh, and this draft is a really good one for that right like Shane Wright isn't quick but he's very good and then you have players like Nazar Cooley and Brad Lambert that are fun skilled fast exciting and I'm I'm just Brad Lambert to is have... one of my personal favorite prospects oh I, I have him at two because I love the guy I, he's amazing uh but there's so many options that the Habs can end up with that would just be fun, right? Like actually just exciting. Like I, I liked Kakanyemi. Was he electrifying ever with the Habs? No, not really, right? Never a needle mover. And even like on the defensive side of things, like Simon Nemitz and uh, David Yurichek, these are fun players. And the Habs are going to get a fun player in all likelihood. And that has me very excited for draft day. And I'll make one point about Brad Lambert that I continually make with prospects, men's league. It's absolutely essential for development, and it can help yep. guys really Agreed. improve. Yeah, we were mentioning that last that last episode exactly about the effect it's of playing a huge in the men's league. It's a huge difference, exactly. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for this prospect update. And now it's time for the burning question of the day. We're talking, of course about Ken Hughes, which, you know, we dissected everything that needed to be dissected. And now we've got into the coaching of the Canadians. And I think, you know, unless, unless there's an absolute vote of confidence and they decide to keep Duchamp or Jeff Molson decides, no, 
I'm tired of paying for coaches to sit, to sit at home and collect paychecks and do nothing with the out of the days. Let's predict who will be the next Canadians head coach. I am going to start with any volunteers or should I just pick someone? Hmm. Hmm. Josh, you go first. <laughs> well, there's a couple of interesting guys. Like, could you imagine if Patrick Waugh ah, or <laughs> pick? No, I would not go with either of them. Um, when but what do we say about Rem- before before you continue remember what we said i think it was like uh three or four episodes ago a dream uh a dream combination would we'll be having like patrick was gm and then um bob hartley as head coach or vice versa and like it would just be the most entertaining thing ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah those two would be my pick for entertaining <laughs> yeah. um if i wanted to pick who could be i look to some articles i don't remember specifically where they were coming from but they were a lot of talk about hiring the people that they've interviewed for the gm and other place around the you around the organization on different roles so i think looking at it maybe if he would take the role and if danny briere could be a possibility as I mean, he's never coached anything anywhere, but he was near the list for the general manager. He's a very good player at the and when he was in the NHL, almost played a thousand game, scored like 114 points in like 124 playoff games, and I think he he could know what the uh, what the room should look like in an NHL team because I think it's pretty clear that Dominic Ducharme has lost room. There's kind of no going back at this point. It seems look at looking at the defensive structure. They've just been awful. Yeah. It's an absolute, it's an absolute mess, but if I could just interject real quick, Josh, the only issue with having Briag as a coach is that in Montreal in its current structure and its current situation, not going to happen. They're not going to hire someone who has zero coaching experience. And also, uh, Briay, um, he's, I'm sorry, but he's like, if he's not coming to Montreal in any capacity whatsoever, either as assistant GM or head of player development or something, he's just going to stick around with Philadelphia and he's going to become their next GM at some point. Because all he's been doing for the, la- for, for the longest time was shadowing Paul Holmgren in the present role he was going through. And he was going through... Uh, all the different levels of management. And I encourage everyone to visit the fourth period and read the article that our, um, our crewmate, Anthony DeMarco wrote on that. And he was actually explained and he was actually explained that with his interview with uh, Beria that, yeah, like he has this passion for, uh, for management. So um, not to put the sad trombone uh, in your court, Josh, but uh, <laughs> wah, wah, not going to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a- <laughs> It's an interesting thought. Uh, but it's an interesting the, thought. I agree. Yeah, none of the other guys really grab me out, like grab me by the throat and say, "Let's hire him." Like Patrick yeah, I, yeah. Law would be just be entertainment value. Same with John Tortorella, just to hear what he would say to <laughs> the Montreal media. Oh my goodness, that would be so epic! <laughs> Forget the media. Talk about the players. My God. Oh, oh man, be he, he'd, he'd he'd wipe that. He'd wipe that. 
non-amused grin right off Christian Dvorak's face. That would make him, he'd make him enjoy playing here in Montreal. Just imagine him. I can uh, throw in my opinion though, really quick, Patrick. There yeah, are actually two guys that I next, think that the Habs could look at, honestly. And obviously, I think the main league the Habs are going to be looking at for a head coach is the QMJHL. And the two coaches I think are the most interesting are, I'm going to butcher this name, is Serge Bolsoleil and Yannick Jean. We're both guys who have been coaching the league for 10 plus years. Uh, actually, Yannick John has been coaching for closer to 15 years. And they've led some teams to some QMJHL championships. They've led some playoff teams and they seem like solid guys. My wild card pick for the head coach of the Canadians is one of my favorite head coaches in the QMJHL, Gordy Dwyer, who used to be an enforcer with the Canadians and has been all over the map when it comes to head coaching. He's coached in the Swiss A League, he's coached in the KHL, he's coached in the QMJHL. And while obviously as an Anglophone, it's highly unlikely he makes the team, he's just an interesting kind of wild card to throw out there as the possible candidate. Yeah, we totally, totally do. Sebastian, I'm going to go with my picks, and then you can have the last word. Is that cool? Of course. All right. I actually dipped into the queue as well, uh, except he ended up being kind of like fourth on my list because I got three three names in front of me right now. That fourth candidate was Louis Robitaille, the uh, head coach of the Gatineau Olympics. Uh, He's often been referred to as the next best thing, you know, or this guy has it. Uh, so to speak, when it comes to motivating his players, and I think he's doing a bang-up job with um, with Gatineau on all aspects of the game. And it's also kind of interesting that um, we were talking about the North American Hockey League earlier, Scott, that uh, Robitai actually, actually made a career out of having 300-plus penalty minutes as well. So he's probably good friends with Gordy Dwyer, for that matter. Um, I think in the short term, if you're going with... Um, a full-scale rebuild and you still want to get someone with uh, a little bit of experience, I would not be surprised if they if the Habs turn around and hire Guy Boucher as the next head coach. I know that it kind of um, gets into the way of the idea of offensive-minded and puck possession and whatnot, considering Boucher is an extremely defensive-minded um, uh, coach as, you know, we all, we all still remember those... Uh, those non-attacks that when he was with Tampa Bay and I think it was against Philly or something where there were five in the zone and no one was touching the puck, zero four checkers. Um, however, the two guys that kind of um, stand out to me the most as a presidential candidate, the first one being Pascal Vinsa, who is currently the assistant coach in, uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was assistant coach for five years with the Winnipeg Jets. He was head coach of the Manitoba Moose as well uh, for five years, although you know he didn't make the playoffs out of three of those years, but he still had, you know, above... 500 uh, win percentage and he had a very he had a very solid career as well uh, in the queue with the K-Britain Screaming Eagles and the Montreal Juniors at the time and I think he might actually fit the mold almost too perfectly uh, but again it's a matter of like if he has the confidence if not another um, well rookie coach so to speak that still has a t- tons of, exper- of experience and uh, Sebastian, you, you're, you might actually enjoy this name because he's actually a Clarkson University alumni. We're talking about the current Laval Rocket head coach, Jean-François Hull, who um, is, like Scott said earlier, is doing, you know, Laval is doing, you know, great uh, this year, fighting for a playoffs, but Underwood and whatnot. And, you know, this is a guy who's, who's been around, you know, like was assistant in Bakersfield. Uh, he was a head coach in Blainville uh, in the queue in the Louis the Maniacs. Um, you know, definitely has that modern approach uh, to the game. So I think it'll probably uh, go down between either Vincent or Ul, or um, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I mean, like, I just sincerely hope they're not going to go back the recycling route and hire Alain Vigneault or something, because then 
you know, then, and then, you know, because I mean, we, we went through Terrien and we went through Terrien <laughs> round three. Let's go. Exactly. Terrien <laughs> round three. Exactly. So then we already saw that. Might as well bring back Vigneault to finish that trifecta, right? But, Patrick, uh, if you want to bring a throw a name into the hat to bring back in, what about a guy like Joe Bouchard? Even I, you got you have to leave someone for me. I need someone <laughs> I need a name that I can throw in. Like, guys, like I had Boucher, I had Bouchard. Like, come on, I need somebody here that has agree, coaching experience. I do agree with Bouchard. You're living, I don't you're think leaving me with back. like Mac Denis, who has zero coaching experience. Like, come on, guys. We could always bring back Mario Tremblay. There. Okay, no, no, no. no. Stay, staying, staying with the Tom Blaze. Why don't we just bring back Jean-Paul? Our best option is Vejan. Oh, we bring in Vejan Tremblay. Oh man, the most bitter journalist in the history of everything. Oh, that'd but, be really funny. That'd be hilarious, yeah. though. But okay, so Sebastian, for uh, whoever's left on your list, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a list anymore. I'm trying to think of names here. Um, okay, okay, well, who but, did you have? Who did you have on your list originally? Okay, I, I, I had Joy Bouchard as head coach. I think okay. that 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 he could be enticed to return to Montreal, considering that obviously he'd have the top head coaching job, which which is huge, right? And it's also that like it's a clean slate in terms of ma- like who's managing him, right? Like mm-hmm. I think things got bitter between him, him and Belgervain. Depends on if he had any like bitterness left with Molson, but who knows? And I think that Gibushi would be an, a phenomenal hire as an assistant coach. I think that if you get his defensive systems in. Uh, because he, like, like, every time you listen to him talk hockey, he's a brilliant hockey mind, right? Like, oh, that he, you is. Say what, he, he really is. Yeah. Bring him either as an assistant coach or consultant or something. I, I would love to have him in the organization. I don't know about head coaching, um, but I think that, like, uh, Joy Bouchard as a head coach, and then you have a, I don't know, like, like uh, Luke Richardson, some other person that knows what, how to offense, Right, unlike Richardson or uh, Bushi, and they have Bushi as a third assistant coach. I think that'd be a pretty nice coaching setup. Uh, but yeah, like, again, there are quite a few options, but the Kibikbo factor limits it a little bit. So you guys really said most of the names. Well, I think the issue that you also throw caution to the wind of Joe Bouchard is that he was signed to be the San Diego Goals head coach because Dallas Eakins was on shaky grounds in Anaheim, and now Dallas Eakins is leading Anaheim to the playoffs. So Joe this Bouchard's future with Anaheim as a coach seems kind of wary. And also, he hasn't had a great season with the San Diego Goals to begin with. So while I don't think it's an automatic, I think he would be more open than most people would think to coming back to Montreal, especially if things don't work out in Anaheim. Exactly. What if... Again, we're going to end with a what if. What if the Canadians decide, you know what? You know, we got our bilingual guy in order to uh, represent the team in Kent Hughes, you know, for the French side and everything. What if we actually turned around and we hired an Anglophone coach? Who would be the best candidate in this case? Do you dare go down the John Tortorella uh, route? Do you get someone like Rick Tockett? Maybe uh, do you start, you know, looking around and seeing, you know, like what, like what, what's, what's out there, what's left out there that might actually be enticing. Let's say, you know, or do you actually decide to give Mike Babcock another chance at a, at a job and you bring him in? I mean, like, is the, is there anybody that's actually perfect for this job? You just made me run over my foot there, Patrick. I will. If Mike Babcock ever finds his way back to an NHL bench, that's the day I quit being a sports journalist. Mike Babcock should never be allowed on an NHL bench. Not in my own opinion. Any any coach who can make Mitch Marner cry should not be allowed on an NHL bench. In my own opinion. Well, that, that makes me happy, though. 
But anyways, <laughs> Josh, like, do do top of your head? I mean, do, is there anybody that actually stands out and being like, you know, language be damned? Like, there's a this guy should be our, our next coach. Uh, the only real name that I could really think about that we haven't talked about would be someone like Gallant coming in. Uh, I think maybe it could be prudent since we're if we're talking about long painful rebuild can we just keep Ducharmin for however many two three years in his contract and let him tank the team and then get the best guy that gets fired coming coming two years uh because yeah none of the names truly stand out as we should really get this guy unless like we've mentioned Bouchard would be really the perfect fit but yeah there's not really anything that stands out to me directly as a rebuilding team I mean top of my head the only the only guy who'd actually make sense um aside from a Daryl Sutter which would be you know absolutely incredible because it's exactly what the city would need would be like a Daryl Sutter type no nonsense coach uh is David Quinn who was head coach under Jeff Gordon in New York, you know? So it's like, and, and again, Quinn was a victim of a very flawed uh, dressing room, you know, that was split in half with the likes of Artemi Panarin and Tony D'Angelo, you know, with his open with political statements and everything. And then when Quick, and then Chris, when Chris Drury was hired as general manager, well, the first thing he did was like, ah, I want my own coach. And then he got, and then he got fired and the rest is history. Uh, but Sebastian, I mean, like, Saw you nod at Sutter, shake your head at Quinn. I mean, I'm guessing you have an, an opinion. I mean, Quinn, I don't know. Like he, I, I just didn't like what he was doing in, in New York. Whereas Sutter, it, it's so, it's such a funny coach because he is this extremely traditional coach, right? Like, but analytically, he is one of like the best coaches in the league. Like whatever yeah. team he gets in charge of, the analytics skyrocket. Like mm-hmm. just like absolute spike, right? So he's, he's a genius. an interesting yeah. He's really good in just getting the most out of his players, which is why I like him. My like super out there, I guess, idea again, it would head coaches wouldn't make sense. It would have to be the assistant job first, but, but I would, I would look at trying to bring in someone like uh, Jack Hahn. Are you guys familiar with Jack Hahn? He was the assistant coach for the Toronto Marlies for quite a few years. And uh, since then, he's basically just been like freelancing and doing his own thing, despite having contract offers to be with AHL or even NHL teams. And he's from Montreal. So this is someone who he was with the the Habs in like a social media capacity in like 2010. And so he knows the organization. He'd be a really interesting one because he is is, like this like extremely tactical coach. Like his, his, he he publishes book on books on hockey tactics right like, like his thing is tactics and reading play he would be a very interesting person to bring in i think he, again head coach would be a, a real stress because he's in his 20s and he has no nhl coaching experience so that would be a real stretch however well, how, how, really, how would be perfect maybe in like in player development was wasn't he headed, is, part exactly. of the in, in he Toronto, was, he, right? he was yeah. involved he, he was involved in it. So what I would bring him in. Also, it, McGill, it, McGill alumni. His, that's cool. Uh, McGill alumni too. Uh, yeah. What I would bring him in as would be like, like the head coach for development, right? Of like, he is the person mm-hmm. that watches all the tape of all the Habs prospects and gives them insight and coaches them. That that, that way, yeah. 
no matter the coaching quality of their respective junior teams or European teams or whatnot, they're getting feedback from one centralized person. I think that would be a really interesting role for that kind of person. And that way you might also be grooming him for a head coaching role in the future. He's from Montreal. He can speak French. I think that 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 would be a win, 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 but I don't know. It, it, It also, it goes straight into like my philosophy of, of a more modern game and stuff, right? So of course, of course, you're laughing at that, which is totally fair. But I but, can but, totally just, understand what you're coming from. The question, I think, because I think Jack Khan also brings that youthfulness to the coaching development that can also be great for the players to relate to. I think a lot of people point to the fact of why college coaches don't work in the NFL. Making a quick football reference, and the fact is that you can't yell at a college player the way you yell at a professional football mm-hmm. player because they'll tell you to basically go to hell. So, I think uh, I think Khan can definitely bring that youthfulness to the development, which can help. I think the only thing that, oh man, you know what, guys, um, we're talking about Daryl Sutter, we're talking about Han, we're talking about language. There's only one perfect candidate and you're all going to hate me for this and everyone listening is going to hate me for this because he fits all of those bills, you know, one after the other. I mean, and it's I wouldn't not... hate it, it's just, it will go right back into the recycling bin, like again. And it's not Patrick Wall, by the way. Nor no. is it Ali Vigneault. It's Bob Hartley. What? Believe no, I thought you were going Claude Julien here. Okay. No, I'm not going with Julien. What? Not Bob Hartley? Bob Hartley. I despise him. But the fact Why of the matter perfect? is, because on a short-term basis, when you're trying to bring like, just bring the spark back, so to speak, he's absolutely brilliant. Look what he did in Calgary. He came in for those, what, two years or something, and the team was totally turned around until they you know, moved on and they had you know the whole... Fiasco before the they landed with give me Gibushi on a on a short term thing rather than Bob Hartley. But Hartley, I have another point of you know what. I'm going to step in and add for, for one more video, Patrick. Bob Hartley was the only coach that ever made the Atlanta Thrashers a competitive hockey team. So you can also point to that when you talk about how good he was. There you go. He took a team that literally had not. He took a team that literally had nothing, and he made them into a winner, albeit if, very briefly. But it's if he make. can keep his emotions in check, which is something Hawaii cannot do. He might actually have an, a, another shot at being head coach in the NHL again via Montreal. I mean, the, this is a team that lacks character. This is a team that needs direction. And maybe having like someone with, that still has the fire for the game in Hartley, it might work. I hate the idea, but it's almost too logical. But then again, I think we're going back to the argument earlier that the team is good on paper. So maybe Hartley was good on paper, but then it's just not going to work. Right. I mean, okay, Sebastian, I'm seeing you like die over in the corner. No, no. Okay. No, no. Honestly, (laughs) look, I know you hate the idea of Hartley as head coach too, which, which softens the blow. I think my biggest hope is that the coach that the Habs will pick who will likely succeed Zushav. There's still a possibility that, that Zushav is the head coach, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that is that is definitely still a possibility. It's still but my hope. My hope is just that whoever they hire that has no previous NHL head coaching like experience, because NHL head coaching market is just, just like GMs. It's, it's always the recycling, right? It's the Vigneault, it's the Terrien, Julien, all all these guys. And I, I'd like, I know Zushan was the exact same thing of a non-recycled candidate, but just because that didn't work, I, I, I still think the best call would be to go with the more modern approach to the game than Alain Mignot or Michel Terrier. Josh, want to give a final thought before we call it a night? I wouldn't bet against Charm sticking around, I think, unfortunately. It's going to be sad, but I think we might be stuck with them. 
<laughs> Scott, final the final award of the night. It's all yours, buddy. And I think his internet froze. <laughs> that is the final word of the night. It was just, if you guys can see this, I mean, his screen is frozen and he has this little grin with his head tilted on the side and everything. It makes for a great wallpaper. Anyways, okay, well, Scott, whatever your opinion is, I'm sure it's amazing. <laughs> so we're going to end this on this. Oh, he just, oh, he's gone. He's, he's <laughs> gone. All right, well, no worries. Internet disconnected. Well, guys, this has been a banger of a show. Uh, thank you very much for for all your input thank you very much to everyone who's been listening and uh, we will uh, catch you next week on another episode of fucking world $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 